on this computer. Hello. Hi, Vlad. Good morning, Claire. Good morning, Vlad. How are you? I'm okay. You you made me a wonderful dinner last night. I'm still recovering from it. Yeah, that was good. Toward the end, I was falling asleep on you. Yeah, you you kicked me out. That's okay. I wish more people were honest about their emotions and needs. Oh, I'm Sorry. always honest about that. I mean, about getting rid of people. <laughs> okay. <laughs> let's see. So let's look at the questions. You saw a few of them last night, but there are some more now. Actually, oh, great! Yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm really very happy questions. to have a conversation to to have a conversation with your with your lovely and very intelligent readers. They are good, aren't they? Weren't those good questions? They were, they were, they were good questions, and they were couched in the language of "this is a stupid question, but" and followed by intelligent question. Um, I always tell people I've got the best readers in the best comment section of anyone on Substack. Okay, question number one comes from Dave Shiflet. Is um, Regina going to join us too? Regina's Regina is less of a political person than I am, and 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 she. Uh, is uh, uh, is not going to be joining us unless uh, maybe towards the end, uh, if if there's a artistic question, let's start with politics first. Okay. Uh, I'm I'm the political guy in the family, so let's start with that. Okay, from um, Dave Shiflet, he was the first one to send in a question. If yes, Tucker, sir. if Tucker burst into flames tonight, would that be good for Ukraine? Great for Ukraine, or make no difference? Hold on, because well, okay, related to this, so why don't we answer them both together? Um, sure. These questions, Michael G. writes, these questions may be, no, oh, he just says, um, the preface, preface is the usual modest comment. Why do many on the Trumpist right in the U.S. side with Russia? Are there rightist factions in Europe? Who's, oh, wait, this is a different question, actually. So let's, let's do this next. Yeah, these are two very different questions. Yeah, let's, exactly. let's pick okay. them apart. If Tucker burst into flames tonight, would that be good for Ukraine, great for Ukraine, or make no difference? I do not want to call on anyone to burst into flames in the human race if they've not done me direct harm or very noble hurt, very noble might hurt anyone well not well there are people you know oh do, am not... I... yeah i am okay <laughs> okay <laughs> mr carlson not only has not done me any any personal harm he has once invited me to go on his show now that fell through for various technical reasons but uh you know he he did invite me on his show so let's not Let's not be um, sacrilegious here. Look, he, let's be generous. Let's always try to be generous. He represents skepticism of his political base who have been taken for granted. And they think, look, why, why is someone else far away being taken care of and not me? And that's a legitimate concern amongst his base. Why are foreigners far away getting resources? When I'm not getting resources, when the elites in this country aren't taking care of me and my needs, when this country has such tremendous problems, when this country has spent yeah the yeah last yeah this is very years, generous but... of you. This is very generous of you. I think Tucker is a complete cretin and a traitor. Look, he I think has emotional uh, emotional engagement in certain isolationist ideas, which are deeply American and does not understand or pretends he does not understand why y- Ukraine is important. Now, it's, it, more than it's just not a bad not idea. Understand. The other day he insisted that Crimea is Russian. Yeah, I mean, but 
I mean, he he is getting. Look, there was a point in my in my circles where people were going around asking each other and calling up each other and asking me other people where does he get his talking points? Who's feeding him this information? That's Who's feeding like him this worldview? There was a point in the beginning of the war amongst Ukraine hands and and Russia hands where everyone was trying to figure out where does he get his information as in who's feeding him this nonsense yeah and that was an interesting moment when that conversation was taking place amongst the Ukraine Russia expert class where does he get his ideas obviously someone is feeding him talking points who is he talking to on and the national conservative right talking points they are very particular talking points, as in they're these are sophisticated ideas that he's regurgitating. He's not coming up with them. He's not. He doesn't no, have. They're, they're Kremlin talking points, lad. Correct. Where is he getting them? Well, I mean, they're let's say they're they're ultra left or they're they're isolationist talking points. Some of them are outright Russian chauvinist talking points, as in he's actually getting his ideas from somewhere. But where the question is, where you know? Yeah, I I wonder that too. I mean, I think it's one of his writers, probably. Yeah, they probably troll the the isolationist internet, or they 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 do talk to people. It's very interesting the ecosystem of people that he talks to. Probably, uh, you know, someone like McGregor has better understanding of the local issues and the pro Russian position than he does. He Who's definitely McGregor? does get. He he definitely has people around him who are unsavory Who's and. Sorry. Who's McGregor? Oh, Colonel, uh, Colonel McGregor, who, I mean, I could, I could give you, uh, I mean, probably it's best not to say their names because they don't deserve our respect, but there's an entire ecosystem of people who are, let's say, Ukraine skeptics who are feeding each other nonsense. So, okay, that aside, let's answer the actual question. Mr. Tucker Carlson is uh, part of a national conservative movement. In fact, he's probably the leading intellectual TV uh, scion of this movement in America who is strategizing and synthesizing their worldview for them, right? So -hmm. he does talk to people like uh, uh, David Hazani and he does talk to to Ben and... You're on. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yes, uh, Europe. Yeah, David is his brother. Yes, my my apologies. Uh, Yar, he does talk to people like Yaram. He does talk to to uh, people like Bannon. It is a synthetic movement, and they do talk to each other, and they do cross pollinate. And it's an intellectual movement, and like any intellectual movement, it has a cadre of intellectuals and a uh, a, a set of positions and institutions and party organs and the rest of it. They have their magazines, they have their conferences, they have their billionaires who who give them money for these talking points. Yeah, I think the questioner is American, so he probably knows that part. I think he probably wants to know how this affects Ukraine. Does it affect Ukraine? I think it does. I really, uh, you know, look at the polling and still most Republicans, a, a slight majority of Republicans, according to the, the, the polling, still uh, are in favor of arming Ukraine and a super majority of American voters are still I think it's like 65, 70%. But it, there really is a disjunction now between the the uh, demo, the average Democratic voter and the average Republican voter. And amongst the national conservatives, probably there's a slight majority. To whatever end, we can we can call the uh, national conservatives from the Trumpists, from the, from the neocons, from the, the mainline Republicans. And I think it's hard to do that. But certainly you have 
already within that demographic a lot of skepticism. So he's effective what, at what he does in targeting or micro-targeting his base with these ideas and the skepticism. So he's absolutely probably a net negative. I always find uh, democratic or left leftist people who say that Fox News is such a problem for America to be a bit hysterical because the number of people who actually watch him is like three and a half, four million. We have the stats yeah, on that. Yeah, his ideas percolate. They do percolate. That's and also, right. And he, he, mm-hmm. you're getting the um the Nielsen figures, right? But he also circulates a lot on YouTube. Yeah, there, there's no doubt that they, these ideas percolate, and that he is an articulate and uh, intense, as in concentrated voice for them. Mm. Uh, it's he's not good. He's he's spreading certain conspiracy theories, and he's spreading uh, certain ideas which are wrong and he's certainly giving a view of ukraine as more corrupt than it currently is ukraine has been corrupt historically and it's working very hard on dealing with those issues and procurement has been resolved uh various kinds of uh, various kinds of forms of corruption have been entirely for technical reasons removed from the Ukrainian political space because of, because of the technical uh, solutions to those problems, as in again procurement, pretty impossible now to procure any to 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 uh, uh, to, to, to steal in terms of procurement because it's not entirely on the question, internet. We have a separate question about that. Okay, fine. Yeah, well, corruption aside, uh, uh, Mr. Carlson is doing a world of bad. It's not wrong to have. It's not wrong to have skepticism presented as a worldview, even though I, I, I'm totally against it, inside the American political narrative or the debate. It's, it's good to have a debate. But there's a certain noxiousness to uh, the way he does it and a glee and a capacity to bring in conspiracy theories. He's also Which making himself is, into Russian propaganda. I mean, he shows up almost every night on Soloviev and and he's yeah. I mean, that's bad, but I mean that, that they'll 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 do whatever they can. I don't uh, I don't doubt they'll 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 take what they can, right? Mm. But you don't have to give uh, it. To yeah, we, he doesn't have to give it to him. Also, look he he sees the he sees the Democratic Party as being uh, systematically on on brands with uh with ukraine amongst my 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 friends in that with that worldview there is a sense that the upper echelons of the democratic party are on side with with ukrainian elites that's not entirely true ukrainians like everybody else have spent a lot of time trying to um lobby let's say everybody in 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 washington so you know both sides have made a lot of money in in ukraine which is basically has been considered an atm for a lot of different people in washington dc between 2004 and 2000 let's say 19 okay so this is not untrue right that there there has been a lot of lobbying. There has been a lot of dark cash circulating. The Manafort stuff. I mean, it's amazing that in 2020, both political 
campaigns, both major parties, political standard bearer for the presidency was ensnared in a a Ukraine related scandal. Right. Mm. That's mm. utterly amazing. And it, it shows you how important Ukraine is within well, Washington, D.C. The money has hardly been wasted because you can see the Ukrainian army has been well trained. Well, these are these are political lobbying campaigns also that, right. that were right. engaged in by everybody. But I mean, you know, D.C. is a swamp. Let's look at Saudi or Qatari or Russian or Chinese or Israeli lobbying. Everyone yeah. does it. Right yeah. now. Uh, yes, exactly. It's part of the political system. But I think yeah. there are a lot of questions. Why don't we come back to this one? Because I don't want anyone to be left out. OK, correct. Yeah, let's get let's get back to this one. All right. From Ben Scepter. Question. What is the national feeling about what the end goal of the war is going to be? By that, I mean, what do most people in Ukraine see as the desired end state of the war? It might be nice to get Regina on this just to have sort of an, a voice of... Wife? The, yeah, the Ukrainian word for wife is Drujina. Drujina, we need you. Drujina, can we borrow you for the podcast for one second? Yes. Beautiful wife. Uh, uh Wife, she has arrived at the at the at the podcast. Hi, this is my wife, Regina Marinovska Davidson. She's a Ukrainian, Franco-Ukrainian. She's not a political person. She's a film producer, but she has a great understanding of the of the way that internal Ukrainian society works. The question is this, my dear: What is the end goal for most Ukrainians? Uh, are people going to keep fighting till the end? What do most what people the want? Desired end state, not whether they're going to the, keep fighting to the end. What is the desired end goal of of the Ukraine? The desire is to fighting uh, for our freedom. It means fighting to the end because if we if we give up, uh, it means that we will be uh, will be under Russian occupation, under our Russian influence, and we don't want it. We want our own culture, own country, independent country, really independent, without any Russian influence any Russian decision coming from Moscow. So people people desire is to fight until the end. If I've and... understood this question correctly, I think it's about what kind of society Ukraine wants after the war. I might not be understanding correctly. What is the desired end state of the war? Oh, I think maybe actually um, he's asking about well, what do you think? Desired end state of the war? Does he mean? We, after we, we can answer both questions, yeah. Regina. Okay. What do you what do you think the desired end end goal is in terms of territory? The uh, first of all, to 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 be back on twenty February twenty four lines lines, but uh, in idealistic way, it's. To, to to have back Crimea too. And the Donbass. And the Donbass, yes. Yeah, but that's about right. My my wife is giving you basically what back the polling says. Back to 1989 borders. No, no, not, back, to, back to February 24th, 2022 borders is basically the precondition of, let's say, 85% of a population, according to polling. Right. Most people want, basically, let's start with... Let's start with February 24 borders and probably 70% want uh, Crimea back. 
the like 95 or 90 percent of the population want to keep fighting at this point don't want to make a, a, a deal yet but that's what my wife says is correct most people their starting end goal territorially is back to the february 23 24 armistice lines and what about um, Zelensky's peace plan? Will Ukrainians accept a peace that doesn't include reparations or um, the a process for trying war criminals? They'll make concessions if necessary, but I mean, no one's there yet. Neither the administration, right. nor the army, nor the people. No one is at that point yet. No one's even thinking about that. No one's going to make the people think about that. No one's making that argument publicly we're not anywhere close to that yet but we are trying to make this uh argument publicly we are working on the film about uh russian soldiers raping ukrainian women and women and how uh how to make justice about this yeah 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 it's true that's right yes what kind of country does ukraine want to be after the war european it's clear what does that mean european what does that mean is it european uh values values what are those liberty what else darling no liberty is more important to be free to 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 have a freedom of speech to without c- corruption mm-hmm. even in we know when even in european union there are the corruption issues but it's not so bad as ukraine was was yes let's underline was i think my wife is trying to say that ukraine wants to be a, a modern and a normal country first and foremost and wants to go into the future, whereas the Russians want to stay in the past. Yeah, is that right? Okay. Yes, exa- exactly. So normal, normalcy. Yeah, yeah. Russia, Russia wants to bring us in Soviet Union. We don't want it. Right. Right. Um, there are a lot of people um, who have been influenced by Russian propaganda that says Ukraine is authoritarian. Um, do you feel that way? No, no, not at all. Right. Um, in fact, in many ways, it's not authoritarian enough. It's it's a country where, there, I mean, I'm I'm slightly joking, but th- there's too many people competing in everything. Too many voices. It's a it's a country of teeming voices and continuous argumentation and continuous fragmentation. It, it, its great strength is that uh, there is no authority and there's no center. There's no centralized. Uh, authority and no one ever managed to take over no power center oligarch or the government never managed unlike in russia yeah, to we, dominate any, anybody else comparing to russia we they they have they had six presidents since uh independence since independence and and in russia it was only three yeah well two let's let's say let's no, say but y- Yeltsin, yeah. Putin and Medvedev. yeah that's true and uh, well, Medvedev maybe doesn't even count. Yeah, yeah uh, the the lady, the lady is absolutely right. The Ukrainians change presidents like socks every single election. You know, the Ukrainians yeah. are uh, Ukrainians are 
freedom oriented they're rambunctious they are um they they are i mean it's it, it's a cliche now to say chaotic but it, it's true and this is a good this is a a good aspect of ukrainian national identity yeah i wouldn't even bring this up except that i keep seeing through tucker carlson i mean he seems to be the vector um the idea that zelensky is a dictator um who I, i've even seen the, the the idea that he has his opponents liquidated enter the enter the bloodstream of our media environment. He hasn't had anybody liquidated. Look, know, first of all, the, the 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 Ukrainian parliament voted in war powers on the 24th, 25th. There is martial law in the country. No country of martial law in the middle of a in the middle of a war has democratic processes. And yet parliament continues to to function. It, it is true that uh, fifth columnists inside the country uh, Russian pro ru- pro Russian political parties, which are directly financed by by Russian forms of money, and we have the receipts for this, have been exited out of the political system, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, traitors have been exited out of the political system. But there is martial law in any country with martial law in the middle of a war, which is voted in by by uh you know uh, a, a super majority of parliament you are going to have uh basically the presidential administration and the army making decisions now there is a deal across the political spectrum in an understanding that in the middle of a war politics is off key and off sides everyone understands it from all the political parties all the opponents of president Zelensky, that there is no politics in the middle of a war, and it's a one for all and all for one. And so you you can call that authoritarianism if you're ideologically oriented and maybe not very smart and maybe a, a bit malicious. I don't think yeah. 98% of Ukrainians would call that authoritarianism. That's the point, exactly. It's, this, is, this is not against the will of the Ukrainian people. Yeah, are, I mean, like... We're, we're it, answering are questions they, now that no one they, asks, so... Um, yeah, is is the is their administration thinking a little bit about the next elections? Yeah, which which politician isn't? But you know, it's not the biggest problem right now for the Zelensky administration. March twenty four, right? Sorry, the next election is March twenty four, right? Well, I mean, you know, I don't. Uh, there, there's a date officially, but I don't. It's not going to happen unless the war is over. So let's not even talk about the dates. Okay. Next question. Uh, this is from Wigwag. Ukraine has a GDP of around 120 billion. It is sustained yes. damage in excess of one trillion. How will Ukraine in the trillions, yes. be rebuilt short of becoming? Oh, the EU has already agreed to pay for it. From an original population of around 45 million, there are about 25 million Ukrainians still living in their native land. The rest have fled. Many left before hostilities broke out for economic reasons, and many to escape the ravages of war. How likely is it that most of these Ukrainians will return to a war-ravaged nation even after hostilities have ceased? Won't demographically challenged Central and Eastern European nations be delighted to allow Ukrainians to stay, especially if it means that Ukrainians instead of Muslims from the Middle East and Africa are filling the jobs that the declining population of the host nations are no longer able to fill? Even if Ukraine emerges victorious victorious and reclaims all of its territory... What are the chances? That well, these are a lot of questions. Let's go. Let's go one by one, Claire. That's a lot of okay, questions. But, um, That's a lot of questions. All right, all right. Let's start with reconstruction and whether people will return. Regina, will your friends return to Ukraine? They, 
the friends with family, absolutely. You're not close enough to the the friends with family. We, yeah, we have lots of people that we know who who say they want to return. Yes. Yes, those who have who have family, they return. It's it's obvious. The single women, women, young single women, probably not if they already found the job in in Europe or in in UK or in Canada or in United States, probably not. Yes, I mean, there will be several million Ukrainian citizens, mostly young women or women without husbands, because that's who's allowed to leave. Right. Men are not allowed to leave Ukraine. I, I'm an American citizen, so I, I, I traverse the border in and out. But young women are the ones who have been allowed to leave. Women with kids and elderly people. Young women who have found a job and or a husband or a boyfriend will not be coming back. But many Ukrainians want to come back. We, 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 we see the vast majority saying that they want to come back. Now, will they follow through with that after spending a year or two years or three years in, in Prague and looking at the pretty architecture and, and having sent their little kid to school and having set up uh, already a, a life? Yeah, a lot of people won't come back. And re- remember... Millions have fled to places they don't want to be in. Uh, people are already coming back to areas cleared of uh, Russian occupation. And many also have been illegally deported and kidnapped and taken to, to Russia. I mean, there right. probably are a million and a half Ukrainians who don't want to be in Russia, who've been taken there by force from filtration camps, including the, the children, tens of thousands of kids. So those those people, I think, would love to come back. Some of them will be stuck in places like Siberia with never enough money to come back. I'm sure there are people who will make new lives in Siberia very bi- bitterly and unhappily who've been sent to uh, to work in places Surely that a need... there's way of getting money to them so that they can come back, right? I mean, there's no... No one's even talking about that yet, right? But right. there are millions who are in European Union. There are a couple of million who are in Russia because they fled in the other direction. Because why wouldn't you if, the, if that's the direction you can get into? Many... Ukrainians pass through Russia in order to get into uh, Kazakhstan or Mongolia or Georgia, especially into the Balkans and the Caucasus. Yeah, lots of Ukrainians had to pass through Russia. So the number of uh, refugees, quote unquote, in Russia, uh, which is kind of maliciously pointed out by pro-Russian sources, uh, it's exaggerated. Those are people passing through Russia to get into places like Georgia and Kazakhstan. Um, on the first part of the question on the rebuilding, I don't think there's any concern it's going to be a Chinese satellite because the the, the sort of maxim in the EU has been, well, U.S. is paying 75 percent of the uh, of the war costs and we're going to pay 75 percent of the reconstruction costs. And they're actually the EU is very good at that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, look, if and when the Ukrainians win. And let's say they get the Russians completely out of their territory. Let's assume as an analyst, not as a patriot, I'm not going to be making any kind of slogany statements, right? Uh, let's assume the Ukrainians win. There will be the fastest reconstruction of a country since World War II. And the the world will pour in capital. I'm not afraid of that. That's going to happen. The question is what happens before that. So the, the Chinese were making great entry into the ukrainian market before this i've written about this i've you know a lot of people have written about this that's just not going to happen now after uh, after this in the same way that the poles 
were forgiven their communist debts by the West in 1989 because of the heroism of Solidarnosc and because a Polish pope uh, played no small part in it. We're going to be, as the West, forgiving the uh, the Ukrainians their debts and paying for the reconstruction as a thank you for their resilience and their standing up for the West and Western well, values. Being our frontline troops against Russia, yeah. Correct. Um, although whether the U.S. will actually forgive the debts, I don't know. You know, the U.K. was paying them off until several years ago. I mean, look, the look. In, in a radical wartime situation, emergency, uh, you know, look, uh, I, ha- I had a friend who told me yesterday uh, that uh, uh, there, there was conversation amongst Ukrainians on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And it turned out that there was a new number, 400 million, mm-hmm. that the, the, the Ukrainians needed to pay for new leopard tanks. Uh-huh. And the Ukrainian population, they heard a new, a new extraordinary exorbitant number they hear 400 million and they said okay fine what are you gonna do send the number i'll send the card you know yeah okay. it's like 400 million 500 million 800 million 6 billion okay all right fine whatever it is i'll pay you know the, there was a famous writer on, on, on twitter yeah like 450 more million okay send the account number <laughs> um you know whatever yeah. it is we'll pay you know, yeah. no one's going to argue. Give us the check. We'll, we'll send you we'll send you our account number, you know. All right. Final question here was even if Ukraine emerges victorious and reclaims all of its territory, what are the chances that France, Germany and Turkey will ever consent to Ukraine's membership in NATO? I think they're quite good. Well, so here those are technical questions. First of all, let's assume uh, you have to assume that the Russians don't keep territory. Right. Let's assume the uh, the Ukrainians take back Crimea because after the Cyprus situation, again, no no one ever joins NATO or the European Union without control of their territory, their sovereign territory. That's not going to happen again. No one's going to allow a divided country, which is occupied by a a belligerent power, into into the EU NATO. Which is why Russia has enclaves and frozen conflicts in Moldova, exactly. in Georgia, and Ukraine. This is how they keep uh, countries from being integrated and assimilated into Western structures, uh, democratic, political, security alliances, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to take back your territory before we have that conversation, right? But that's a priori. If we get Crimea back, and I let's assume that we do, it's still a technical process, even with a speeded up process. Let's say Russia is neutered and it falls apart and is going through its own problems and stops being a problem for Ukraine, which is a best case scenario, which is, you know, not so likely, let's say, but it, it, it can happen if the Ukrainians win decisively. Let's say assume that happens. Even at that point, I mean, eight, 10 years just to meet the technical specifications uh, to, to uh, have interoperability with NATO forces, NATO armies. It's not easy. Yeah, I mean, it, within the amount of time we're talking about, I don't know what's going to happen with Turkey's status in NATO. It may become just it's a, look. It's a point. it's a it's a decade long process. Maybe yeah. the European Union, but there's so many things. If you ever look at the uh, at the uh, at the list of criteria that that a country has to meet, it's very long. 
There's a All lot right. that Ukraine will have to do. So it, this is a, a this is very much a, uh, a hypothetical question. It's a question for tomorrow, right? Or a couple of years from now. Wigwag also asks, how would your dinner companions react to this very interesting article from today's that yesterday's foreign affairs explaining the problems between Ukraine and Russia were foreseeable decades ago and would likely result in this is Kennan's. Um, did you see it? Kennan's warning on Ukraine? No, I didn't see Kennan's warning on Ukraine. I mean, I know what he thought about it. I didn't see this article. I mean, look, the, it, it, you could say that. Uh, the Arab-Israeli problems were foreseen many years before there was an Israeli state. Yeah, clearly, there's a three, four hundred year history of imperialism and domination and war. I mean, you, you could you could see that you could say that back in 1648, 1649 already with the uprisings, the Cossack uprisings, Milnitsky, we could we could know that there would be problems between the Poles and the Ukrainians and the Russians. But I mean. That's as correct as it is not important, you know, at a certain point. I'm the, just the, read the key parts from Kennan's memo so that you can react to um, what he specifically said. Yes, but no, talk, let's talk about specific uh, criticism. the State Department memo that there is no clear dividing line between Russia and Ukraine, and it would be impossible to establish one. Setting up an independent Ukraine would be as artificial and as destructive as an attempt to separate the Corn Belt, including the Great Lakes industrial area, from the economy of the United States. Okay, so that gets at something that was true during Soviet times and that is less true now. The supply lines and logistical lines and uh, industrial capacity of the Soviet Union was spread out. So when the Soviet Union dissolved, uh, there were huge issues between supply lines where, let's say, the tractor was being made in one country, but the, the engine for it was being made in another country. This was a Soviet, a Russian imperial, and then a Soviet policy to distribute uh, industrial productivity in between all the Soviet countries. This this has, in some ways, been solved, but there's, you know, a lot of intertwined production all the way up to the war in, uh, let's say, industry, certainly in the uh, in the aeronautical industry between russia and ukraine if we're talking about territory yeah the the russians don't know where russia ends it's absolutely right the russians do not have a conception of where russia ends the the russian population does not know where russia ends where ukraine begins where kazakhstan begins when they say ruski mir russian world the so-called russian world it's an expression of the fact that they don't psychologically understand yet where the borders of their empire ends. Right. Um, yeah. It's not it's because the Ukrainians of... don't know where their their internationally recognized borders are. They very much do. Um, right? This article is kind of strange because it suggests the author has paid no attention to the news from Ukraine and doesn't realize that Ukrainians just don't like being bombed and raped and have developed strong feelings about it because uh, it continues to argue that... Um, in the undesirable, if in a conflict, an undesirable deadlock was developing, Kennan wrote, the United States should push for a composing of the differences along the lines of a reasonable federalism. And the author continues, notwithstanding the vicissitudes of the last 75 years, Kennan's advice remains relevant today. A federation allowing for regional autonomy in eastern Ukraine and perhaps even in Crimea could help both sides coexist. Now, come, give me a break. There's going to be... Give a... me a break. First of all, uh, Crimea was an autonomous republic in the Ukrainian constitution. It was autonomous. It was a right. U- 
it, it arguably it was not it wasn't assimilated enough into Ukraine, and they didn't. They spent uh, it's true twenty years ignoring uh, assimilating uh, that region into into the into the country and into the tapestry of the country and the institutions of a country. Arguably, there was too much autonomy already. Now, Ukraine is a centralized country. This is true. And there was a lot of talk about decentralization in terms of regional budgets and mayors having access to more more cash. But these are internal Ukrainian constitutional questions. This isn't something that Russia at all should have any kind of claim on. And the kind of Bosnian-style partition that the Russians always wanted with, with Donbass having, having uh, constitutional vetoes or vetoes on Ukrainian foreign policy. It's absolutely ridiculous. This is I mean, in the year of our Lord 2023. They lost their claim to it when they've tried to commit genocide. Yeah, I mean, this, this is an argument that maybe has a little bit of bearing somewhat in the year of our Lord 2015 or 16. That our argument reads like it was written eight years ago and it hasn't taken into account uh the population shifts and the the psychological shifts and the demographic shifts in the country and the constitutional shifts and the fact that the better war has changed everything yeah and the fact that one more sentence then we'll move on and the article continues finally the realities of demography and geography dictate that russia in the long run will remain a principal power in these often tragic bloodlands what realities of demography and geography? I mean, Russia's demographic this is, is terrible. This is uh, this th- that a sentence uh, probably that entire article is a collection of cliches. Yeah. Okay. Um, next question. Um, Matt S says no questions, but wish them well for me. Well, I'm 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 grateful. Thank you, Matt. Okay. Michael G says, why do many on the Trumpist right in the U.S. side with Russia? Are there rightist factions in Europe who side with Russia for similar reasons or for different reasons? Is oh, this is such a great question. That is a lovely question. I'm so gr- I'm so grateful that we have an intelligent question like that. So um, let's break that down into Europe and into America. In America, yeah. let's start with America. There is a national conservative right that is looking for antecedents it's looking for examples now a lot of them have settled on hungary as an example of what they want for america now this has to do with values it has to do with demographic changes in america it has to do with the fact that america no longer has an agreed upon ideal of values what is it that america is who it's for what is it that its basic values are that it agrees upon None of that exists now, and conservatives are understandably looking for new consensus ideas, the old Republican consensus, the old Republican political party uh, mainline ideal of what the Republican Party stands for doesn't exist anymore. And you're having debates now about what it is that the mainline and the national conservative Republicans believe. That is healthy. That is okay. That's what political parties are for, for generating ideas and movements. Okay, Mm -hmm. so the problem is this. They are looking towards Europe because America, of course, is the suburbs of Europe. It was settled by Europeans. And they are mostly looking, for examples, in Eastern Europe. Again, understandably. And a lot of them are looking and, and going to and spending a lot of time in Hungary. Yeah. Now, this is true, right? 
absolutely true. I wrote a lot about that recently. Um, it's very strange that they would look to Hungary as an example, to say the least. Very strange. And in fact, Ukraine, and I've told this to many national conservative intellectuals who I do talk to, I said, look, if you want a patriotic, uh, resilient, center-right, very traditional, very patriotic, very Christian society, which has no internal divisions in terms of values, uh, you could do a lot worse in Europe than, than model America on on uh, uh, on uh, Ukraine, which is a civic national, center-right, agrarian, traditionalist, conservative, liberal democracy where people are old-fashioned in all the lovely ways and modern in all the lovely ways, and uh, which is in many ways a much healthier society than America or the post-industrial West or Western Europe. In many ways, a much healthier society and an inspiring society which practices the martial virtues that you want allegedly to impose on the rest of America. I said to them, why don't you look at instead of Hungary, which is kind of an annoying little autocratic uh, post-imperial, post-communist, you know, oligarchy, look at Ukraine. And, they, you know, a lot of them are starting to realize that that Ukraine actually is the country uh, that they would like to turn America into. It's a good example of what it's realizing that. Sorry. Who's realizing that some of them are. I I, I do talk to people on the national conservative about using names and they say, yeah, well, there's still a division. There is, there is a pro Russian. There is a pro Russian kind of leftover taste for various reasons, which are all wrong. They shouldn't be pro Russian at all. It's, It's unbelievable to me that they are enthusiastic about Russia. I mean, what is the, conceivable appeal i mean this is a country where one out of three people still don't have indoor plumbing uh yeah i mean the 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 russians i talk to them and i say you know i know the russians bring you to their conferences and you hang out in kremlin you have a good time and you see what a great country it is and blah 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 but this has nothing to do with you and and they say oh this and that and i say look this is this is the politics of Russia is not the national conservatism that they tell you it is. It doesn't have a politics other than chauvinism and kind of postmodern melange of ideas. It, it's not. It's not a conservative country in any way. It has higher. By the way, we should mention uh, that you are Russian as well. I am. Look, I am a a Russian citizen. I'm ten thousand percent a Ukrainian, but I inherited a Russian passport from my father which was given to me in the Russian consulate in New York, which I burned live on TV when my wife asked me to do so on the 25th yes, of February. I, we wrote about that, remember? Yeah, correct. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just telling to the listeners. Uh, I am both Russian and Ukrainian, and I, I come out of a Russified Ukrainian Jewish family. Uh, I was born in Uzbekistan to Russified Ukrainians. I have been living in Ukraine for 13 years, on and off, I love Ukraine. I wrote two books about it. I married to Ukrainian. My ancestors are from there. But I just happen to have a Russian passport. But you also because speak people, Because, you know, people got the passport of a republic they were in when, when the Soviet Union collapsed. I, I bring That's it up, just... though, because you speak Russian and you know Russia quite well. So when you say something about Russian society, you have some basis on which to say it. Yeah, look, I'm I'm from the Russian-speaking and Russian diaspora. My 
my family are Russian citizens. I have a Russian uncle. My family are uh, in between Russia and Ukraine. As in many families, the, the, the dividing lines are, are not very easy to, un- to see, you know? There, there are millions of people in Ukraine with, with relatives in Russia and vice versa. The biggest diaspora of Ukrainians isn't in Canada. It's in Russia, even before this, for various historical reasons having to do with deportations and and borders and intermarriage, right? So uh, back to this question. there are, uh, The Hungarian romance, which is to me completely bizarre, it is completely bizarre, is part of a reason that the Nat Khans are badly predisposed to Ukraine and the Hungarians are Russian, let's be honest. Well, the Hungarians are hoping that Ukraine collapses and they recapture their lost territories. Also, they're economically cleaved to the Russians rather than the EU. They have their nuclear reactors are being built by the Russians. Orban is playing a double game. And Russia doesn't give them a lot of a lot of a lot of hassle about uh, having no free press and they don't care. The Russians don't care that there's no yeah. Um But, you know, in, in terms of, you know, what's known as, quote unquote, global homo, right? You know, mm-hmm. this, you know, this idea of global homo. Yeah. I, I, maybe you should explain it for listeners who aren't uh, lucky enough to understand the idea. OK, so uh, I, I, I stupidly use the, the use the word global homo in in uh, uh, in in print. And on uh, my voice is now imprinted, having said uh, the term global homo just, uh, you know, refers to a couple of the things, a term for globalization with with American leftist characteristics. It's also a, you know, seen by right wingers as a right uh, as an agenda where leftists and, and pro pro LGBT rights people want to weaken the West. It's a kind of idea that we're supposedly promoting homosexuality uh, in, con- in, 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 in context of neoliberal economics and progressive values by corporations and political interests to revamp the, uh, the West. So, you know, global homos, either neoliberalism plus gay rights, or if you're a conservative, it's an idea that leftists are using these ideas to weaken the family and weaken the, the political nation. There is something to both ideas, actually, by the way. I'm not, I'm not saying that the unfortunate usage of the word homo uh, aside, that that's not wrong. And, you know, the, the Natcons are looking at Eastern Europe as a bulwark against Western European values. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Yeah, they just happen to be looking at the wrong country. They're looking at a ethnically homogenous little dinky Eastern European country, which wants to be the Austro-Hungarian Empire rather than the liberal democracy, rather than rather than the Brussels Empire, instead of at Ukraine, which is where they should be getting their values from. I I believe, by the way, that they should be getting their values from Ukraine. I believe that the Ukrainian example of resilience and grace under fire. And martial virtues is what the West should be looking at. I, 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 I'm not against that conservative view of things. Most of the West but, is looking at it, which I think is in large part what animates the reactionary conservatives. They, they are simply determined to hate anything that most people in their country love. But 
I don't even know if that's true, but it's completely ridiculous to me. We are epitomizing the values they ostensibly want to spread. I don't get it. There's a lot I don't get about that movement. Um, but it, but it, it is it, this is the cutting edge of the discussion that we should be having in the West. So let's get to the uh, uh, to the to the Europeans. There is a uh, to the European aspect of the question. There is a historical link between European conservatives and Russia in places like Italy and Hungary, especially. Yeah, the far right, especially, um, not the traditional conservative parties, but the far right parties have all been financed and cultivated and nurtured by Russia. Correct. Um, it's just that simple. Next question. Well, I mean, there, there are a few more things we could say. For example, the the Quran burning in Sweden seems to have been a Russian idea. The one well, look, I, you know, I, I don't know if everyone's had that. Clericism, but it, 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 it's interesting when, when Russians put local local crazies or local assets or local useful idiots up to that kind of thing. That is an example of a disinformation uh, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, Russian tactics. I should. We should we're fighting. Tell people who might not have heard what happened this week. Um, I, uh, yeah, go ahead. You do. Russian it. stooge burned a Quran in front of the Turkish embassy in Sweden, which, of course, very predictably outraged the Turks. And now Erdogan is saying we're never going to admit Turkey to NATO. If you want to burn a Quran, find someone else to defend you. Um, I, I, I am totally in favor of anti-clericism. I come out of the anarchist anti-clerical wing of uh, uh of the uh, of of the anarchist left before of third worldism we used to uh, be against clerics and against organized religion and against the uh, against uh, holy books the left should be against you consider yourself on the left not anymore not i mean i i'm i'm a liberal but you know these things don't mean anything anymore and in 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 ukraine russia when you say you're lefty you just mean you're a conservative it, as it is in china not in any american sense no i'm i'm no longer a progressive i was a i was a left anarchist in terms of class warfare in the 90s and the aughts as a young man you were a teenager then yeah i mean i i fought i yeah but i i was at the anti wto uh, demonstrations fighting cops as a 15-year-old, you know? I think what you did at 15 does not really um, suggest what your political inclinations are. And also, I was, I, throughout my 20s, I was into the ACLU, and I was into uh, I was into very anti-authoritarian politics, having to do with radical free speech and, 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 and that stuff. And a lot of that has flipped. So that, that's a different conversation. Yeah. I'm a I'm a liberal. There are no left right divisions within Ukraine. Everyone is either a, a center right or an IMF liberal. They're all Washington consensus people. There there isn't a left. You know, no one's against globalization or no one's against neoliberalism. No one's a socialist except one or two political parties. That's the usual <laughs> post communist trajectory. Correct. That is the usual post-communist trajectory, but this has nothing to do this language with with Ukraine or with Russia. Left-right divisions in the Western European, American, Canadian sense have nothing to do with us. Right. Nothing. So back to your back to the question about Europe. The traditional conservative parties, like the Tories in the UK and um, French, French conservatives, apart maybe from Chirac, who's a real Russophile, are not inclined to Moscow at all. I mean, they they were 
part of the Cold War and um, they're Correct. not particularly sympathetic to Moscow in any way, certainly not now. But the far right, like the National Front, or what is now the Rassemblement National in France, is very much, I mean, they are cre- these parties are creatures of Moscow. They couldn't exist without Moscow's support. Absolutely. Yes, they 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 are economically, politically, socially enveloped in Russian money influence relationships, long-standing ones going back also to the Soviet the far Union. Left in Europe, I mean, the old comrade networks have been maintained. There's there's um, and I've talked about the Absolutely. far left here, not the not the normal left, uh, you know, not like the not the Parti Socialiste, but um, the Communist Party here. I don't think the com- no the Communist Party here was very conservative, but there are other Communist parties, um, like in Greece and um, in Italy. So, so these these movements very much are intertwined with Russia, and that's why they take the party line when talking about Russia. Oh, yeah, but it's just it's just that burning? simple. It's just that simple. Hmm? Did I Sorry the story about the Quran burning. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's germane to this, but you know, like I. You know, if I was younger, maybe I'd burn a Quran or a Bible or a Torah. But the, but the whole point is that he was seems to have been put up to it by Russia, which is, as you said last night, good trade craft on their part. But it um, is good trade craft. I did say that last night, and let's repeat that now. It is good trade craft. Yes, but that Russia has a lot of people they can activate um, throughout Europe, and I mean, there's a big concern in Europe that they're going to activate them to commit terrorism um, and sabotage and other. And a lot of people in the media, too, they also have, I mean, we know from the Matryoshka archives just how completely penetrated the French media was. And I don't doubt that it can, it oh, stayed, yeah? It, yeah, it remains that way, right. I mean, they had like six people at Le Monde. At six people at Le Monde? Uh-huh. Really? Yeah. Was it Le Monde or Figaro? I don't want to malign the wrong paper, but one, it was one or the other. They, they um, yeah, completely penetrated. And I'm sure that's, that's still true. Why wouldn't it be? Um, they have a lot of media assets. Yeah, I mean, there are people who like money. There are people who do it for ideology, also. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, it, I mean, it isn't crazy based on what we know has historically happened to suspect that many of the people in the media who sound like Russian mouthpieces are Russian mouthpieces. Um, the next. Yeah, question some of them do it for love, and some of them do it for money. And some are just stupid. I mean, there really is. There are people who are just stupid enough that they don't understand that these are real countries and they think it's all part of an internal culture war uh, game that they don't realize real people are involved and real people are dying. Um, I think someone like Candace Owens fits in that category. It's just I don't I don't know her current positions that well, so I just don't. Um... I, I, I'm not going to comment on, on her positions, which I, I don't quite understand. Her side of the culture war is against Ukraine and for Russia. That's all she knows. And she'll just parrot the, the usual points. You know, Zelensky is a thug. <laughs> He's not a thug. He's a gentleman. I know. He is. I mean, I, mean I, was, I was so upset when I heard that. How did, who told her that? How did she know he's a thug? It, this who is told just, her? I don't know. The memo goes down in these circles that this is the talking point, And they... They just adopt it. I mean, I would love to understand the exact route by which these talking points are circulated. I think that would be. There are a lot of people who who also in the Ukraine political circles would love to have that information. There have been people looking into it. Well, if they find 
anything interesting. I would love to understand exactly the mechanism by which this kind of stuff is propagated, because it very clearly is propagated. You, you know, one day overnight, some bizarre meme or phrase will start coming out of the mouth of everyone in that part of the spectrum, and it will be the same one. Um, look, the, look, the, the Ukrainian, the Ukrainians. Uh, we shouldn't speak of the Ukrainians anymore than we should speak of the Chinese or the blacks or the Jews. But, you know, Ukraine, the political system, Poroshenko's people, they made some bad decisions having side with Hillary Clinton in 2016. Uh, Donald Trump never, never forgave. Uh, remember, in, in the uh, impeachment, we found out that he hates these people, hate me. They tried to screw me. You know, Donald Trump hates the Ukrainians and his wing of the party despises them. You know, not entirely without some reasons, right? Well, there were people, there were people in Ukraine who moved against Donald Trump in 2016. It wasn't everybody, but there were a couple of important people. I've written about this. It's in my book. The you know the Manafort files were given over to New York Times and to DNC and all this. Uh, this is not wrong. I mean, but it was that was certain people within the Poroshenko administration. It wasn't the Ukrainians, it, and that was a different administration. That wasn't Zelensky. Is that a radical thing to say? No, it's not a radical thing to say. I just it doesn't. I mean, you have to be morally bankrupt to think that this is so important that you should side with Russia. Well, they are there are morally bankrupt some of them, and some of them are just team players, and some of them just go in on the algorithm of ideas that they were programmed to believe that everyone in their circle goes in for what i find remarkable though is the way all of a sudden one of these ideas will become popular um what was it it was just suddenly about four months ago everyone started saying but what about the way ukrainians are suppressing the russian language obviously this but they're not this is ridiculous i I know i know but why all of a sudden did this idea capture the imagination of the american right someone Um, someone gave it to them i don't know where they got it um, what's, what is um, remarkable and worth pointing out is that they don't bother to confirm this. They don't bother to ask a Ukrainian in the age of instant social. Well, they don't care because it's all, it's all party politics now. Right. Okay. Is it overall good or bad that Turkey is part of NATO? That's really a question for me more than I think you, um, although your opinion is welcome. Um, it is overall good because. Overall, it's good. The alternative is having Turkey out of NATO and actively hostile. But Turkey is not a good NATO partner. Turkey is a major pain in the ass, and it is extremely difficult to integrate Turkey because Turkey has become so illiberal that it's not a natural fit for an alliance of liberal democracies. Um, Turkey's ability to veto, for example, Sweden and Finland's NATO application is a major problem. And I think people still haven't realized the extent to which Turkey is no longer the same NATO partner that it was in the 50s and 60s. Um, Can I just, I could say one thing. Uh-huh. It's this. If 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 NATO did kick t- uh, Turkey out, I'm, I'm not in favor of that. Mm-hmm. Certainly. We, we need to keep a, a, an alliance. Mm-hmm. And that would, that would weaken the alliance. It would certainly destabilize a lot of things. But that happens. The natural outcome of that would be confrontations between the Russian and Turkish navies in the Black Sea. That wouldn't be bad for Ukraine. 
but you know, it would, it would just make things more chaotic. Actually, I think if, I don't. There is no mechanism for kicking out a country, so that I don't know how it would happen. But Turkey would right. not cleave toward Russia. I think cleave to Russia, uh, or what was the? Is it cleave? no? It would. It would. It would be an enemy of Russia. Probably it would try it to get its uh, historical been an enemy of, of Russia. I mean, it's it's been to war with Russia twelve times and lost every time. But if it wasn't in NATO, I think you'd see a lot more military sharing, a lot more cooperation between the two of them. Um, Erdogan is going to be if he, if there's really no difference in authoritarian instincts between Erdogan and Putin. Um, there's no ideological reason why Erdogan wouldn't nestle himself into the SCO and yeah, it would it would be political, economic, historical, nationalist reasons, not ideological ones. So it's better to have Turkey inside the tent and pissing out than vice versa. And Turkey is very significant militarily. I mean, that's correct. That's NATO's southern flank. And Turkey has the largest army outside of the United States and um, a very experienced army and huge amount of intelligence through Central Asia. Asia and uh, Yeah, they're very useful. No one, no one is arguing that they're not. They're just ideologically complicated. They're just they require a lot of management and. I don't think people have prioritized Turkey enough. I've been saying this for 15 years, that people need to pay more attention to what's going on in Turkey because diplomatically people don't understand it. The Swedes don't understand it. Finns don't understand it. Um, No one understands what Turkey is banging on about with the people they want back from Sweden um, who are the most significant of them are not PKK, but Gulenists. And so this is, this is going to be a mess because not enough effort has been put into managing that relationship um so overall good or bad it's like 60 percent good yeah i i hope i hope i've said something useful and interesting to your to your viewers and listeners and readers i'm well i'm sure you have um okay. we've, got, we've got two more questions we'll go through okay two more two more questions then i'm gonna go have brunch okay How about it can be asked does vlad know of any cases where portraits of isaac babel replaced those of stepan bandera um, it would be great, but you you see, it's it's Bandera is on the upswing now, not the for for reasons of obviousness. You know, look, Bandera has no local constituency where I'm from, and this where my family's from, where my wife is from, in the south southeast and the south. It's really very much a Galicia thing. No one cares about Bandera in even amongst really really nationalist groupsicles from from Donetsk from Donbass those guys are not into them bandera he's not he's not their generative right wing uh, nationalist they they look to local heroes bandera is very much a galician western european phenomenon and it i've been saying this for years did capture the the imagination and the the memory politics of the country for various reasons anti-Soviet reasons, the the prevalence of various people from the Ukrainian diaspora who came back in the 90s from Canada who are disproportionately Galicianers. You know, Bandera is not a great thing. It makes a lot of people uncomfortable, including yeah. Jews and Poles, obviously. But Bandera is not the issue in the middle of a war. No one's fighting for Bandera. They're fighting for Ukraine. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Ukrainian parliament was just dumb to put up that picture of Bandera. 
I'm not going to say dumb. I mean, it's it's, it's just... No, you're in the middle of a war and you're, you're, you've, you've got to be very careful about your image. Putting that up was dumb. That was one of the rare PR mistakes. Well, Ukrainians do make mistakes. They, they, you know, they do make mistakes. But look, they're looking for historical heroes, for antecedents, for usable past. Mm-hmm. They're looking for heroes who fought back against the Soviets, against the, the, the Ruskies, against the 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 Germans against the you know against outsiders. They're we don't looking... have to look back for that. They're the cold country is full of them. Yeah, but historically, people who did it in the past, you know. Mm-hmm. So All right. we have one last question. Oh, make it good. Okay, well, it's actually it's a multi-part question. I'll read the whole thing. Oh, of course. Of Hi. course it is. Is of there course any it discussion is. in their media about corruption? Oh, yes. Real, imagined, or that which many in the West allege exists in Ukraine. Is there any sense, as there certainly in, is in the West, that World War III is becoming more of a possibility? To wit, we said no patriots, they got patriots, and Putin is unhappy. We said no HIMARS, they got HIMARS, and Putin is more unhappy. We said no Abrams tanks, now we're sending tanks, and Putin is even more unhappy. F-16s? What may be the tell that Putin could finally really crack and the entire world is about to go to hell and it's over for Ukraine? Why is it my friends on the left who are now neo-hawks think I'm an alarmist? That's the whole question. Okay, okay those are, those are three, great, three great questions. One, is there, uh, is there, the question is what? Is there Ukrainian... There discussion Ukrainian media about corruption, real imagined, or that which many in the West allege, allege exists in Ukraine? Well, look, there's a war on, so this isn't what people are talking about. This isn't what people. This well, is what's I mean, being reported. They've, they've just um, um, there was just a corruption scandal, which was dealt with very harshly. Very harshly, and a a a minister, a vice minister, was sacked. Yeah, yeah. So yes, it's in the media, and no one wants it. No one wants it, and the, the country understands that they have to deal with it harshly, and. Uh, procurement scandals in the middle of a war are a form of treason. A lot of people would say, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, a a, min- a vi- deputy minister was just sacked. Another minister is under investigation. Yeah, when it comes up, they they get rid of it. There's a lot less corruption in Ukraine now than there was five, ten, fifteen years ago. Certainly, this has been something that uh, the West has helped uh, Ukrainians deal with. This is a uh, real, you know, I mean, look, there are a lot of people who think that there's more corruption than there is because there's more reporting of it. Right. There seems to be more of it because we, we now have more international organizations dealing with reporting on it. That's that's a, a interesting backward effect of of reporting on it is that there seems to be more of it when there's actually less of it. Yeah, that, that's a classic um, problem, whether it discerning whether something is a crime wave or a crime reporting wave. Um, yeah, so let's go to the second question. In the media. Second question. Is there any sense, as there certainly is in the West, that World War III is becoming more of a possibility? Where's Putin's breaking point? When does he just give up and well, He's First of all, it's less of a it's less of a possibility now than eight months ago because all his red lines turn out to be not red. He we, he keeps on making red lines and then and then it turns out he's actually can I can I just say pansy? Can I say pansy? <laughs> well, pansy for himself. He's certainly not a pansy about sending poor Votniks to die for him. Yeah, correct. But it, it, look, we we have threatens 
quietly what we will do. I mean, I don't actually know. In fact, no one actually knows what the what Jake Sullivan has said to his counterparts and what what the Secretary of Defense has said to to their counterparts. We don't actually know what the threat is if they if they use nuclear weapons in the middle of Ukraine. There has been a threat. We we will blow something up. What well, is that thing? Threatening all day long. We're going to blow up Berlin. We're going to blow up Paris. <laughs> no, but the government's not threatening. It's the yeah, it's it's the propaganda. Well, on TV. Yeah, but that's that's obviously authorized. It is obviously authorized, but not the same. It's not the same as the as the Ministry uh, of of Defense of of the Russian Federation's actually making claims about what will happen under under what uh, circumstances and what conditions. We don't actually know, but it, 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 we're we're inching closer and closer to thinking that. Uh, none of this matters. They're not going to use nuclear weapons. They know that we have total escalation dominance. If, if that's the case, it's the case that uh, all their red lines that we've crossed, they've done nothing about. We've we, we've allowed the Ukrainians to start inching closer and closer to Crimea. The Ukrainians blew stuff up in Crimea without any escalation from the russians we blew up the the uh, uh the ship we blew up the the um the, the, the most the bridge i love the word most because it's the same in every slavic language i can go to poland or czechia or or ukraine or russia or serbia and i say most and everyone knows that the bridge is the bridge all right so, so i don't know about his friends but I don't think he's an alarmist. I think this is an incredibly dangerous situation. I think the fact that Putin has not escalated to a nuclear response so far does not mean he won't. But the the fact that it is incredibly dangerous is not something over which we have any control. It, it, it's Putin who would do this, not us. We're not going to escalate in that sense. And the only option that people suggest when they bring this up is, well, we should capitulate. Ukraine should surrender. And that's a terrible option because that means we now live in a world where anyone with nuclear weapons can call the shots everywhere. And right. that, will lead to, that will lead to an unparalleled wave of proliferation and a monstrous world. Right. Um, so I, I am extremely alarmed. I do, I do think there's a major potential for a catastrophic decision, a catastrophic error. Um. Well, no, no. I mean, look, uh, we should we, we shouldn't have the population thinking like this. I mean, this this is this is not great when the population starts thinking like this. Which population? This is the population of Western of of, of Western Europeans or uh, uh, American voters. This is something that this is something that policymakers should be putting into their calculus this isn't something that you as a well we're adults come on yeah but it 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 leads to it leads to defeatism surrender i don't think it does i mean when someone tells me i'm going to threaten you with nuclear annihilation unless you do what i want I, i mean i i see that very clearly as something to which you can't give in you just can't Correct. That's the world you're creating, and you don't want to live in that world. But lots of people do want to give up. They say, no, well, look, the World War Three. it's not great. It's not great. Deterrence had worked for us for a long time, and the proper reaction to a threat like that is to want your leaders to make it very clear that we 
will retaliate overwhelmingly? Well, not everyone is sadly as savvy and um, smart as you. Well, I don't think it's a matter of savvy or smart. I think it's just common sense. Common sense is not so common. We used to say back in Brooklyn when I was a kid. And the worst possible thing is to, if you want Putin to win, um, vacillate, dither, um, divide the West, and shrink. I mean, it's, this, is, this is actually, it's so common sense that every mammal knows it. If my cats, if they see a threat, they, they bristle their fur and they arch their back to make themselves look bigger. It's just, you know, you, have, you, have, you deal with a threat by looking like you're going to whoop someone's ass, which we can do. So it's not a bluff. It's not a bluff. Right. Okay. Well. I do. But I do think so it's very real. And so I what's think... the point of, hmm? so what's the point of feeling scared about their, their bluffs with nuclear emotions, weapons, which they're not going to use? Don't, emotions don't have a point. They just are. Emotions don't have a point. I'm gonna bring you. I'm gonna bring you to therapy. Uh, you're gonna be. You're gonna be my shrink now. From now on. Um, yeah, emotions don't have a point. I hope this has been useful. I really enjoy talking to you as always. Thank you. I Vlad. think Thank a you. lot has been said that's interesting and useful. I'll put. This I up hope everyone right. continues helping Ukrainians and keeping on side. We're gonna win Slava this. Ukraine. Slava We're gonna win this. You are Thank win. you, everybody. Keep subscribing. Keep helping the noble and very talented. And buy um, from Odessa with love. Yes, my book, my my first book from Odessa with love. And happy have to have more readers. Be well and have a good weekend. You have another book coming up. Let's just plug that. Oh yes, uh, my uh, uh, the birth of a political nation. I have uh, coming out in a month, month and a half. A book about. Ukrainians and Jews since 2013 and 14, what has happened and the way those issues have played into have played into the uh, propaganda from the Russians. I think that's going to be an important book. When it's published, we'll have you write something for us about it. I'd love that. I would I would I would would love to. As as you can see from the very intelligent comments, my readers are the kinds of people who would be interested in a book like that. I hope so. We we just need we need several thousand of them. That's the thing. Well, I have several thousand readers. Great. Then then right. we're done. Go enjoy bye, brunch. Bye bye, Claire. Bye. Thank you so much. As <laughs> Thank always. you. Bye bye.